Welcome to the Earspoon. This is Fish, and we have started a special line of interviewing called A Call to Action. We hope to distribute as much quality information to you about an ever-changing landscape, but please keep in mind, as it does change often, so might this information. It's all dated, and by all means, before acting on any of it, verify it. And as all Earspoon podcasts, it is presented to you by Mocha Joe's. If you live locally, they are offering curbside pickup, and they're still doing shipping through their website, mochajoes.com. Welcome to A Call to Action. We're covering many different topics on how to feed children to what the economy might look like when we're done with all this. Today, we're talking with Dane Rank, who is the top administrator at Thompson House and has the responsibility of having to deal with the world's most vulnerable population during the pandemic. Dane, welcome to A Call to Action. Hi, Peter. How's it going? Very well, thank you. Everybody's safe and healthy, and uh, we're doing well. Good. Um, all right, let me, let, let's start with this. Um, how many residents are actually at Thompson House? Well, we have the capacity for 43 rehabilitation and nursing beds and 17 residential care. Uh, currently, we have 40. We also do an outpatient treatment program. Well, we did former to the pandemic, but um, we currently have 42 uh, rehab and nursing patients in-house and 12 residential care patients. All right. And, and uh, oh, sorry, ex- residential care residents. No, that's fine. Explain to us exactly how, how the model works for those who might not understand Thompson House. I mean, your, your residential care but and, and the day patients. So ex- explain that to us a little bit. Sure. So um, when people go into the hospital, they have an acute stay, and they may go in for heart issues or a joint replacement. Um, following their three-day stay at the hospital, they qualify for a Medicare benefit generally, and that is for rehabilitation to get better before going home. Some of the patients can go right home with home care, but a lot of the patients uh, at the hospital who have um, hip replacements, especially when they're a little older, require a period of rehab before returning home safely so that they don't bounce back to the emergency room. Um, Additionally, as they step down through the treatment, some people require less care, uh, just maybe some help with bathing or getting dressed in the morning, and that's the residential care side. for folks who have discharged home and are being supported by home care services or are independent at home, we offer transportation within Brattleboro and we bring them in and we do outpatient rehab with them to keep them moving, um, doing things like balance and gait training just to keep people from falling and keeping them well. All right. So now that's all what happens prior to a pandemic, right? And I assume that those services have become limited somewhat at this point? The outpatient services have been canceled because of the governor's order uh, banning non-essential uh, essential personnel from facilities. All right. So that that will that'll bring me uh, into my next question uh, quite nicely. Since you are dealing with the most vulnerable population during this pandemic, how quickly were you guys able to kind of, well, I don't want to say retool. You probably didn't have to do that, but I mean, you definitely had to change some protocol right off, right off, right out of the gate. How did you, uh, how did you do that? How did you guys handle that? Um, well, we were all reading the stories about, uh, the nursing home in Washington, um, and how horrible that was even before we started getting serious, the numbers that we're getting in New York now. So at that time, which was weeks before the um, the ban on essential personnel. We moved to limit visitors from, um, you know, patients, families to uh, friends of staff uh, and even entertainers, unfortunately. And we only had the essential visitors for people who were at end of life. And we only had one of them. Um, we did a lot of other stuff. We put down washable flooring and revamped the lobby to accommodate a receiving room um, where personnel were instructed to take, to take temperatures upon arrival. 
and then later upon departure, um, we received and reviewed the CDC's list of recommended active agents and solute guidelines to ensure that all of our cleaning supplies were effective against the virus. Um, and then we began to rotate staff. So we put people out on two weeks with pay, um, and the directed job duty was for self-quarantine to ensure that we had uh, well-staffed to relieve the sick. We were anticipating, again, we were really looking to the south and preparing for the worse. Right. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there's something there. And that, now, I've only heard of one other uh, facility that has done what you, you're doing, and, and that is taking half the staff, making them uh, kind of putting them out for, for two weeks so that you have healthy staff to replace staff that might not be healthy. So that's, uh, that, that is something. Now, was it, is, is there an association that, that helps you kind of think all this thing through? Because as I keep saying through this entire thing, we're all trying to fix the plane in flight. So, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of guesswork and a lot of, uh, some common sense, but some of it is like you had mentioned cleaning supplies, like having a, like, is this a good product to kill the coronavirus? You know, right. I mean, so is there is there uh, an organization that that like Thompson House leans on that will help you through these things? Well, so we are on a, a, a feed from the CDC. Uh, so as soon as they have preparedness guidelines or alerts that come out, um, I get those uh, immediately. Additionally, when the governor um, enacted the uh, state of emergency in Vermont, which was really fantastic, I. I I have to say the governor has been very responsive um, and really early on a lot of these things, and this is probably what is leading to our great numbers. Um, but when um, when he enacted that state of emergency, the Vermont Emergency Management uh, Organization became active. And um, so Pam Corbett from the state that's run through the state of Vermont uh, really got together with uh, Bradley House, Holton Home, Vernon Green, and Thompson House, along with the whole uh, Brattleboro Hospital post-acute medical directing team, um, Ailey Peterson, and uh, some other really great leaders over there. And we started talking about how we would coordinate around this common purpose of um, making sure that the hospital was not overwhelmed and was able to maintain capacity. So how we would discharge patients from the acute unit to the, the, the post-acute units. Oh, okay. All right. So there, there's a lot of, I mean, and obviously because of the population that you're dealing with, there's there's just a, a lot of thought that goes into all of this. So it's uh, it, it's interesting to, to know that. Um, now, because of the vulnerable age uh, of the population that, that resides there, um, and and since these elder care facilities kind of are been labeled as ground zero for COVID-19, you guys just recently went through something that I personally um, want to thank you for because I, I know that for your organization, it it may not have been an overly popular decision to make, um, but a, a worker that had been there weeks ago, um, not even well outside the, the window of being safe, um, had tested positive. You basically shut down the facility and just tested everybody. Can you walk us through what happened? Sure. So, as you know, the, the nature of this population uh, is, if we're looking toward the facilities toward south and out west, uh, potentially up to a third of these people could die if, we, if the virus gets in here. Once one of us is symptomatic, we have already been contagious, and it's too late. So we need to track this virus one or two steps out. 
So we are asking our employees and staff members to report on family members who've made contact with people who are positive or people who may appear to be symptomatic. And as a result of this, one of our dietary personnel did mention that um, their significant other displayed a fever on uh, a Saturday, and this was a Monday as they were coming back through the front door and we were asking all these questions. So um, we were able to send that person home. Following the, because this employee was not symptomatic at the time, we were told uh, that we were not able to get a um, get another test through any of the local channels. So we again turned to Clear Choice MD at the Rotary, uh, who's our workers' comp provider, and they performed the confirmation test, and the employee tested positive. The employee is continuing to quarantine for two weeks, after which we will require them to have two negative tests before they return to work. Identification of an employee in the facility who was COVID positive made us eligible to have the health department come in and test the entire facility. So we just felt it was a good idea to get a handle on where the infection might be at Thompson House, uh, considering what the, the stakes are. No, and, and again, as I've said to you, I, I know those are hard decisions. That's going to put you right in the headlines. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it was absolutely at least just by my humble opinion, the correct and only way to respond. So I think that your whole entire staff and everybody involved in making that decision are to be uh, applauded, quite frankly. So let, let's say, now you had mentioned the governor and how, how well our whole legislative body, our Senate body, our, our, and, and all of our executive body within the state of Vermont has really, and I do feel, has been doing a really good job staying ahead of this. Now, all of our stay-at-home orders are, had been extended recently through the 15th. How does Thompson House or any other facility much like Thompson House, how do you operate on the 16th? Well, so, you know, let me start by saying Governor Scott has been very responsive. Um, early on, when BMH and several other facilities began to coordinate on how the post-acute facilities would work to increase capacity at the hospital, we identified an issue that the patients discharging from the hospital weren't being tested before discharging to these facilities. So we brought it to the attention of uh, Governor Scott's chief of staff, who contacted Dr. Levine, uh, and the commissioner changed the regulations and sent us an email that evening and uh, was very concerned with um, making sure that we were doing things right for the, the elder population here. So the 16th, that's a, a really good question. See, for everyone else, this is rolling through the population, and there's a good chance that everybody at some point is going to get it. Um, our goal here in the nursing home is for our patients to get it after there is a vaccine. Uh, from everything we're seeing, that's close to a year off. Right. And, you know, again, if half of the people who die in Vermont are going to be from uh, for, of this virus, are going to be from one cohort of seniors who all live in a highly regulated, controlled environment with staff who are competent at following regulation, quick, you know, changing quickly, then this would seem to be a really great way to be able to cut the death toll in half. It will be imperative that we are able to track and test employees and patients in these facilities on an ongoing basis um, in order to make that happen. Um, Commissioner Levine has been really receptive to hearing about issues like this, 
And from my understanding, his first priority was to increase the capacity at the hospitals because, again, we were looking to our south and we did not want to become overwhelmed like we saw happening in New York or even worse in Italy. Um, The good and early decisions on the part of the governor and the commissioner, um, and, of course, Vermonters adhering to good practice, uh, had a very positive fact. But So now that we're pretty sure the hospitals aren't going to be overwhelmed, it would seem to be that the next priority is probably going to be to focus on our elder population and um, make sure that we protect them in the long-term care facilities until we have a vaccine. I appreciate, uh, Dane, you jumping on a call to action with us today. Is there anything uh, out there, anything left that that maybe we didn't say that you feel like you'd like to put out there? Uh, Just that the people who are working in these facilities really are heroes. I mean, we have nurses who haven't seen grandchildren in over a month. Um, or people who haven't seen their parents or grandparents. Um, We have residents here, you know, the most important thing in the entire world is being taken away from them right now, which is close uh, conversations and and experiences with family and friends. And we're trying to fill the gap where I have nurses coming in, you know, with Bibles and conducting Easter service, or um, I have a social worker out there doing an antiques roadshow. We're doing everything we can, but these people are angels and they've all been very strong and very good and they're sacrificing a lot. So anything we can do to support them, um, especially with uh, universal access to testing would be fantastic. Dane, thank you so much for jumping on a call to action. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in to a special segment of the Ear Spoon called A Call to Action as we navigate the waters of a worldwide pandemic. More information will follow. And as always, Be safe and be six feet apart.